Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. I hear this from the preacher of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, who once said, My faith rests on nothing that I am, or shall be, or feel, or know, but in Christ, in what He has done, in who He is, and in what He's doing for me. Not only do we have this wonderful encouragement by Charles Spurgeon, but we also have one by John Owen, a theologian from ages past. Faith itself is of God, not of ourselves, and teaches us to be all by grace and not by our, by, by our works. This is where we see the beauty of the gospel, the word of God, seeping into each one of us, transforming us and calling us to become someone better than what we think we can be with any measure or of any type of standard in this world. Some years ago, authorities in Augusta, Georgia, were called to interstate, interstate, uh, interstate 20, forgive me, to a welcome center to investigate a suspicious package. A visitor saw a package on a table and told employee, employees, who in turn contacted the authorities. As the authorities arrived, they believed the suspicious package might contain a bomb. This was right after 9-11. You understand why this was an issue. Richmond, Richmond County Sheriff Sergeant John Gray says that the center was closed for nearly an hour while authorities investigated. They treated the unknown package as if it had contained explosives, spraying it with a hose so that it contained a fire extinguisher of some kind to immobilize bombs. Further investigation revealed that the package had been left for someone curious to find. However, it wasn't explosives or some malicious intent. Someone placed a Bible inside it with a note urging the person opening the package to simply do this, and I quote, take a chance on God. Some of us are very much tempted to simply come to believe that we have arrived simply because we are old or, you know, we have been successful in our careers. We have a family that loves us. Uh, we have different ways of thinking, oh, I've made it. I don't need anything or anyone else. But the question I would like for us to ponder through as we go through the message today is this. What is left for us to lose when we are destitute and left or dead by the world. Hear this again. What is left for us to lose when we are destitute and left for dead by the world? When this world would simply throw us aside, cast us off, what else can we lose? So think about this as you hear the reading of the word. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to read along just in silence. If you don't have a Bible, it will be overhead. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. 
And the dead man sat up and began to speak, with, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding countryside. This is the word of God for his people today. The title of the message is very simple. Uh, some of you may think you've been hawking titles from C.S. Lewis. I have not. A widow, a dead man, and the word of God. This particular scene comes on the heels of Jesus going to Capernaum, facing the faith of a centurion. Now, if you remember Pastor Dan's sermon from two weeks ago, I know some of us have slept since then, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Pastor Dan told us how in this particular scene, the first 10 verses of this chapter, a centurion goes, and he doesn't go himself, he sends someone to Jesus saying, I have a servant who is ill to the point of death, and I would ask of you to heal him. He was encouraged by others to say, this man has done good for us, please heed his request. But it wasn't that that swayed Jesus. If you remember in the story earlier in this chapter, it is what the centurion had said through the messenger. I am a man of authority and under authority. If I say to one, go, he goes and does it. If I say to one, come, he comes and he does what I command. You just have to say the word and it will be done. Jesus, Jesus remarks, I have not seen such great faith in Israel or in Judea at that time. And so now Jesus goes from this town to Nain and he faces a different set of circumstances. In the first one, there was a, a, a servant who was dying. Gravely ill. Here it's gotten worse. Here we see that we have a few options that we can identify with today. As we see how there's a widow and the funeral happening, we can identify with a corpse. We can identify with a woman who's lost everything. Or we can identify with the one who has the power of God's word to change everything. That's for you to do and take care of your own personal understanding and for you to know where you are with God. But I need you to understand that each one of us in this room, anyone watching and listening, is to identify themselves with one of those three people. And so today we want to start with the widow and the funeral procession. In similar fashion to today, funerals across time have been very sad, contrite circumstances. These are very somber occasions because if a person dies, we know that the family and the community enter into a time when they are mourning and going through rituals to help them ease the loss of a loved one, be it a father, a mother, a child, an extended family member. And for most of those customs, it can take several weeks the community comes together and they help the family mourn properly. And that includes the interment of a person. We've seen that here multiple times in our church. People come, they mourn, they weep. And then after the person is interred, after they had seen the body, after they had come to say goodbye to the body, and after they put the body on the ground, during the meal, especially if you come to a Baptist church, something interesting happens. And I wonder if you've paid attention to this. People begin to laugh. It's no longer the, what we've lost, but do you remember what we did this time? We nearly died, but wasn't it funny? Or, you didn't die, did you? Kind of a thing. Here we see something where Jesus is now faced as he enters this town 
with something extremely difficult. A woman is mourning the death of her son. Not only that, she has no other children. And to make matters worse, she's a widow. At the time, women were not in the same status as they are today in our culture. That means that this woman had lost not only her family, a husband and her son, but she also had lost everything that gave her status among her people. The property would go to another family member, and they had the option to take care of her or to leave her destitute. This is where a family redeemer is needed. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I hope you're paying attention. Here you have Jesus encountering the fact that there's no hope for this woman anymore. And the Bible tells us, just by reading it again, that he had compassion on her and told her, do not weep. Here you see one, the first commandment in all of this particular section. Eight verses. This is the first commandment. Do not weep. And we see that because, because Jesus is showing compassion for this woman. He is showing that God cares for people and where they are. He shows that God is concerned with the people as they go through the highs, the lows, and the in-between emotions of this wretched life. And yes, I mean to say wretched because whether you realize it or not, the world is not in perfect state. If you think that this is all hunky-dory, you have a very disturbing view of what humanity and history is like. We just have to turn to any of our favorite ne news networks and you will see that peace has not fully overtaken the world. That we, as broken as we are, as well-intended as we are, we still continue to kill one another for senseless things. That we continue to have and harbor negative emotions toward others. And so here we see that Jesus cares and has compassion. And that's important because if you're going to worship a God, would you rather worship a God who has compassion or a God who cares nothing for you except for your worship? Would you care to worship a God who shows his perfect love to you or a God who simply wants to squash you under his foot as he pronounces judgment over you eternally? It's a difference. And by the way, that is the difference between the God of the Bible and the, God of the, uh, the gods around Israel at the time, the idols that they worshipped. You see, the people in the scene as described in the text shows that there's a sense of sharing the pain of a new reality for this woman who is now left destitute, homeless, without any future prospects for her life. This woman needs a redeemer. Does that sound familiar? This woman needs someone to help her and stand in to take care of her. Life will no doubt be radically different and far more painful for this woman if nothing changes. Are you there? Is this you today? Are you the person who has no hope? Are you the person who is facing circumstances and situations where you feel like, what am I doing? There's nothing I can do to get out of it. There may be some people in this room and watching online who are there right now. To you right now, this whole thing called Christianity may, be seen, may seem something like a caricature of what life ought to be. Something funny to, to just kind of contemplate when then you go back to your reality where life just, if I can be so plain and bold in modern terms, it just sucks. 
Or maybe to you, you feel like this whole thing called spiritual life. This, this concept of not just living for the moment or living for what we can experience over 70, 80 good years of health can bring us. Maybe you say, yeah, all we have is here, right? You, you may sound like the writer, of, the writer of Ecclesiastes. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. That is the state of the widow losing her husband, losing her son. So the question now, as we consider, what, what are we to do? What, what, what recourse do you and I have when life seems bleak and dark? Because we can identify, each one of us should very easily identify with a woman that has lost everything and with a crowd that's helpless to help someone when there's no more hope. But then it gets worse. You know what's worse than losing someone? Let's go to the next one. It's to actually be the dead man and the unclean. You think losing someone's bad. Let me remind you of something that we as Christians have as hope for the future. This is a quote by one of our favorite pastors and teachers in today's in church history today, Alistair Begg. Death comes to the Christian, and it is as to fall asleep in the arms of Jesus and waking up and finding out that you're home. For the Christian to die is to have much gain because we no longer sojourn in this broken world. But for us as Christians to die is to awaken to eternity. To awaken to the beauty of no more pain, no more suffering. To awaken to the reality of the glory of God with no dampers, with no sunglasses. But where we can see him as scripture tells us face to face. Guys like you looking at, at, the at your beautiful wife's face the very first time you saw her wedding, that wedding gown. She was coming down the aisle. Gals, I hope that's the same thing for you as you saw him standing in the front of the church looking dashing in his tux or his black suit or gray suit, whatever the color may be. Where we see the full glory of God in all of its splendor and we are overcome with great joy. But that's only for the Christian. Somewhere else in, in church history, we have heard it said that for the unbeliever, this will be the only heaven they will know. And for the Christian, this will be the only hell they will know. You see, for the man that's being carried by his friends and the community members as they're going out of this town of Nain, as Jesus encounters them, hell is now a reality. The very prospect of death is a reality because it's no longer a hypothetical, well, when I die. No, this guy is gone. He's being, being carried by pallbearers. And this is something that really shows the power of sin and temptation over each one of us. The fact that each one of us listening to my voice today has to face eventually. Everyone here will one day Go through that river. We will have to say see you later or goodbye to this world. And so we are reminded in the actions of Jesus that he has something different compared to you and I. Why? Because listen to what the Old Testament says about the contact of humans with things that are soiled by dead. By death, I should say. Come on, Mexican, work with me. 
Leviticus chapter 11, verse 32, it's overhead. Anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood, a garment or a skin or a sack. Any article is used for any purpose. It must be put into water and it shall be unclean until evening. Then it shall be clean. But then talking about people, look at what Numbers 5 and verse 2 says. Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, everyone who has a discharge, and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. Death has a way of separating us not only from each other but from this world and ultimately from God. Why? Because if you read your Bible, who has the power over death or pretends to have power over death? Satan. The accuser telling us how broken and how corrupt we are. Death is the ultimate punishment for those who will not confess Christ as Lord. And in case we need to be reminded, the young man is facing in this particular text at minimum four realities all at one particular moment. They all converge to this. At the moment of his death, he was no more. There was no more of this young man. We don't even know his name, but he was no more. The second thing, there was no hope for tomorrow for him. We all, well, I like musicals. Annie, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. And for him, it was no more. There has no more tomorrow for him. The third truth is that the future has no other outlook for him at that moment of death but utter emptiness and if he was of the other schools like the Sadducees or the Essenes they did not teach that there was a, a life after death unlike the Pharisees the, the hope of the resurrection if he was of these other schools of theology this is all there was good luck you're going to oblivion and lastly for this young man, as we see here, that he's being carried out by those around him. The past, the present, and the future became memories instantaneously. There were no more acts to be done. There were no more good memories of the past. And the, and the present ceased to be. Do you see the dire situation of death when we confront it and when we are confronted by it? that we rightly see from Nathaniel Hawthorne this particular quote, a grave wherever found preaches a short and pithy sermon to the soul. All you have to do is go down to the cemeteries here in town or any community around you and you will find that there are many sermons being preached by those epitaphs on the stones, the headstones of those people. And they're not very long sermons. You would like, if you could, you would call a dead person to give you a sermon. Because their sermons are this. Born this date. A little line. Died on this date. End of sermon. Amen, somebody. But they remind us that we are but dust. And to the dust we shall return. They remind us that this life has a, fin a finality that we cannot overcome. Not of our own power. We've already sung, had that song. Grace alone. It's only by God's grace that we can go day by day. It is by God's grace that you're sitting here breathing. And it is by God's grace, definitely by God's grace, that I'm here standing preaching to me and to you. 
The text shows us that the loss of life, the suspension of the present and the future as a soul enters eternity, leaves those who are still on this journey that is not yet done alone and in pain. But the dead man is not merely dying or nearly dead. We see that he is completely gone. He's so far gone that they're going to bury him. And that puts the situation in a very dire state. Every person must come to grips with this particular reality. Why? Because for those whose lifeless spirit has been, have been given new life, whose life here and now is no more a mere existence, meaning to you, Christian man or woman or child, if you have been given life by God, then you and I have the sincere hope that there's someone greater at work in us and through us. There is a sincere hope that he who ascended into the right hand of the Father will one day at the end of all history return and will gather us to himself who are his children. That is the beauty of the Christian life. But this man had no clue of it. And this mother has no hope for it because if she had actually seen and looked at Jesus as he was coming to the gate, she would have said, I've heard of you. Save me. Save my son. But it doesn't show up that way. To the contrary, we see the way God reaches out to humanity and not the way humanity reaches to God. Why? Because if you ask me, humanity is so self-seeking that all they can do when they're faced with great trial, great tribulation, rather than look up, we simply look at our navel and say, poor, poor me. Look at me, how wretched and how destitute I am. But Jesus Christ shows us the way that the Father deals with his children because he has compassion. And then, in case we were wondering, comes the second commandment. Young man, I say to you, arise. This is something that breaks every notion of what is happening in the world. And it's no coincidence that Luke inserts that into chapter 7 because if he can deal with someone who is about to die and make them well by the simple word of his, it is done upon your hearing, it is by your faith, it's done. Then truly Jesus can handle bringing someone back to life after they have gone. If not, what type of God is he? He would be no better than any other charlatan claiming to be Jesus today. Or he would be no better than any other idol made by hands who has no power over anything. Except to receive worship from people who have no better hope. And that brings us to this, that the Word of God and the broken world stand in attrition to one another. They stand fighting one another. Why? Because this world thinks that we have one up on God. But we in the church know better. The way that Luke makes this clear is because now he's using language to remind us of someone great from the Old Testament times. The name of that man is Elijah. Do you remember him? If you've read First and Second Kings, you will read about this man whose name is Elijah. And I say is because he's alive and well, don't you know? He's a saint. He's alive in the presence of God. 
But this man named Elijah lived sometime in the ninth in the ninth century before Jesus, and he had a ministry as a prophet to the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And he and this ministry was marked by showing miraculous signs that displayed the presence, the reality, and the trustworthy nature of Yahweh, our God. He is very he's very well remembered for two particular miracles. You may recall the encounter on Mount where one prophet of the living God went up against a whole slew of false prophets for the God Baal. Let me spoil the story for you. God won. And the false prophets were killed. The second, the second miracle for which Elijah is remembered is because he gave life to the son of a widow who was not even an Israelite. She was a Gentile. Elijah's dependence on God throughout his life, even through the low moments of depression, feeling like he was the last one who was faithful to the Heavenly Father, led to him to be carried away in a fiery chariot, not even dying, but being carried away in, in the Spirit to see God and to just enter eternity. That's the type of relationship that he had with God. That is the type of devotion that he had towards Yahweh himself. Elijah is being utilized by Luke to represent the entirety of the prophets in the Old Testament. Because he embodies the teaching of the prophets, not only in the teaching, but also in the full action of his ministry. And so, you need to remember this, church. And I hope that you would take note of this, that Jesus is greater than any of the old-time prophets. He's the final prophet to us. He is the fulfillment of all of them. And in case you needed to be reminded of this, Jesus is greater than Moses, the very first prophet, because he is the one who gave the law on Mount Sinai by his own hand. He is greater than Isaiah, the one with the longest scroll, because he is the suffering servant that died for his people. He is greater than Jeremiah, because where Jeremiah wept for his people, Jesus showed compassion for his people. He's greater than Daniel in all of his wisdom because he himself is the son of man who's coming at the end of the age. He is greater than Ezekiel because when Ezekiel wept and felt dismayed at the sight of the valley of dry bones, it is Christ, the word of God, that gives life to the dry bones themselves to give them life again. He is greater than the lesser prophets because he's the one who dies for his people. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. He is the perfect priest, the perfect prophet, and the perfect king. He is the one who comes to do this. Not to be make, made unclean, but to make us all clean. Jesus is not unclean by any contact with the dead, but he makes the unclean clean. I hope that you, if you are a Christian here today and you have given your life to him, you know what that means because you can remember that time in your life when you felt the weight of your sin, you felt the conviction of your poor decisions, you felt the conviction of everything against you, and you knew that there was no any other way that you could have delivered yourself but to trust in God. And Luke makes that clear because where Jesus should have known better, and he does, he touched 
this item that was in contact with a corpse and being a prophet, being God himself, the second son, the second, the second person of the Trinity, I should say, the, the only begotten son of God, he did not become unclean by touching the buyer. But he gave life. You and I have none of that power. We have none of that capability. But Christ does. And so I ask of you to remember this. The old, the old text of this old hymn. Because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. All fear is gone. That is the confession of the Christian. Christ is able to redeem even corpses. Because he is the power of God. Unto creation. Salvation. To sustaining the universe. To maintaining life. And to give everything that is abundantly needed. And because Christ himself is the only one who can do that, then when he tells a woman, weep not, do not weep. Or when he tells this dead boy, arise young man, we know this, that his commands are on par with the commands of God. Or to put it the way that it's overhead, the commands of Jesus are on par with the commands of God, the Father. Why? Because there's only one God in three persons. And those two persons, the first, the God, the Father, God, the Son, are in harmony working. And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that brings everything together. In case you need to be reminded, look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But he didn't even have to use his hands. Look at the end, verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. This is the work of Christ. This is the work of the active Word of God carrying out the will of the Father. And if you want to see that happening again in a theological understanding, look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is testifying to who Jesus Christ is. So the next time you want to hear God speak to you, you want to have fellowship with the Son, pick up your Bible and read it. That is the testimony of every Bible-believing, faithful Christian preacher, that the Word of God is infallible, it's immutable, it's unchanging. Why? Because we believe and teach that it is inspired by God Himself. We believe this is a testimony of God about God to his people, to the world, that salvation may come through it and that we may see the power of God to bring about faith in each one of us. But just in case you needed to see how this all plays out in John chapter 1, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness and here is something that's still happening today. The darkness has not overcome it. This is the power of God's word. This is the power of our Lord and Savior, who himself is not only the Logos. Logos we translate as word. I like it more in Spanish. El verbo. And if you know cognate words, that's the verb. Because Jesus is not just conjunction. Jesus is not, what else? Everything but a verb, right? What is the purpose of a verb? It's action-driven. It, it dictates of something that's happening or needs to happen or has happened, depending on how it's conjugated. Jesus Christ is el verbo, the active word, the verb of the action of Almighty God amongst His people. That means, dear ones, 
that if you ever come in contact with the verb, the word of God, then you and I need to understand what happened in this text because it's very important. Look at the way that this happens in verse 16. Fear seized them all and they glorified God. Friends, when you and I come face to face with the hand of God, His work among us, we cannot but worship Him. And that comes for this particular reason. Jesus commands worship and fear, which is reverence, because He is God. We sing, oh, what a friend I have in Jesus. Oh, we make Him such a mushy guy. Jesus is not mushy. He's not sentimental. To put it the way that some of my favorite pastors hearing their teaching have said, just because he came as a lamb the first time does not mean that you have to forget that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He may be a lamb the first time he come, but you have to remember, he is the princely lion who will reign forever and ever. Don't you forget that. If you, there used to be times when going to the circus, you would see the ringmaster and he would come out and he would have a whip and a chair and he would go into a cage with lions. You, they were trained, but there's something about Jesus and God himself. He's not a tamed lion. This is the one living being in the universe of whom we can love, yes. But you should revere the fact that he has the power of life and death to demand it of you anytime, any moment, and that everything that happens in your life he allows for him to be glorified. He's not tamed lion that you should not fear him. That's a line from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Referring to Aslan who is the picture of Jesus. Christ is not a tamed lion. He is God. He is the one who created the world. He is the one who sustains the world. He is the one who gives salvation. The one who sustains our lives. The one who sustains all of creation in all of its goodness. And even allows evil to take place. So that his love, his mercy and grace will show itself to be true among us. And if we understand who he is in its fullness. Then we come to two different things that we need to do. Number one. We must acknowledge that God is among us. Much like the people here in the middle of this funeral procession suddenly were carrying a dead man and now they're seeing that this dead man sits up and now speaking to them. So we too ought to be caught aware of God's work among us. Look at this church. Many churches close their doors after COVID. Look at us. I'm not saying we're perfect. Let me tell you this, we're not. You may think the pastoral team has it all together. We don't. Pray for us because we're imperfect. But look at what God is doing amongst his people. Praise him for that. Where many churches have closed and many churches continue to close, God is blessing us to have new disciples to train. We must remember that he has given us a promise that will not ever pass away. Eternal life. And this is where we need to be reminded that this is not a resurrection account. This is a revival account, if you will. Because Jesus gave life back to this young man, but he died again. Jesus was resurrected because having died and being in the grave for three days, he no longer died. But he lives forever and ever to reign at the right hand of God the Father. 
There's a difference between being revived and there's a difference between being resurrected. And we need to know that this life is not the end. And we can trust that God in his mercy gives us what we need. And because of that, we need to remember and rem remind ourselves daily that the report of God's works continue to spread throughout the region. These people didn't keep it to themselves. Something special happened among them. I don't know, if I were you and we were conducting a funeral here in this particular church and in the middle of Brother Dan or the officiant giving the eulogy or giving the, ser the sermon for the deceased and they stood up and started talking, I would pay attention. They did not keep that to themselves. Here we see that the report of this act that Jesus had done as he was going from Capernaum now to Nain spread not only in that little area where Nain happened but it went all throughout Judea and so we must remind ourselves that we have been given a great commission not a great suggestion if we believe truly in our hearts that we have the living word of God that can alone give life to people not only for this life but for the life to come because we do not want anyone to perish, but we want as many to confess that Christ is Lord, then we must remind ourselves that the church has this great commandment before them. Let's see it overhead. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Not church members. Not groupies or followers. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you needed to have any clue for the Trinity, there it is. And Jesus is the one saying it. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of Tuesday. No, wait, that's not it. No, no Jesus is with you until the end of Sunday when you forget the sermon. That's not it either. What does it say? To the end of the age. It means that for you, my dear brother and sister, if we have confessed that Christ is Lord, if we have confessed that we have no other hope, no higher priest than Christ Jesus, whew, we have work to do. And it wasn't all fulfilled yesterday when we were at the Cactus Festival. We have work to do. We have missions to go and support. We have people groups that we need to pray fervently to hear the gospel for the very first time. We have churches that need pastors. And we have classes even here in our church that need to train teachers and not followers. We must be about the commanding expansion of the gospel. Not by your good looks. Definitely not by mine. But it must be by the word of God alone. Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.